This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This special episode is brought to you in partnership with Cult Beauty and was recorded live during Menopause Awareness Month. Welcome all of you to this very special evening and thanks to Cult Beauty and all the team for hosting this recording. It's a live recording of a special episode of Postcards from Midlife and obviously it's particularly special because this is World Menopause Awareness Month. I'm Trish Halpin, I'm the co-host of Postcards from Midlife alongside Lorraine Candu, who I'm sure you all know at the end there. Um, like Lorraine, I'm a former Glossy Magazine editor, I edited Marie Claire, Red, InStyle and Lorraine, of course, Sunday Times Style, Elle, Cosmo, before that. So we launched the podcast when we were both going through very difficult perimenopause experiences ourselves. We did not know what on earth was going on with us. We just didn't feel right. And we got to talking about it and we thought, well, listen, we we kind of then got onto the fact that it probably was menopause. And we thought, we're journalists. We've written about women's lives, women's health for the last 20 odd years. And we don't know anything about it. This is insane. So we started the podcast and 18 months on, we know a lot about it because we've interviewed, I would say, practically every expert on perimenopause, on women's health in the UK. And of course, lots of incredibly wonderful, high profile women who have been remarkable in opening up about their personal stories and actually making themselves quite vulnerable I would say on the show as well at certain points about their menopause experiences but it's so great to have you all here today because this is the menopause revolution and woo, we're all menopause warriors we're all menopause warriors here today and uh, joining us on the panel to discuss how we can support each other we're going to be talking about how we support each other at work Caroline is going to be talking about government, how we make changes in Parliament, how we get society talking differently about menopause and making concrete positive changes and creating communities around menopause, which is obviously something that Lorraine and I have been championing over the last 18 months. And we have
have a wonderful midlife community uh, and Facebook group too. So let me introduce our panel. We have the fabulous Alexia Ng, who is co-founder and co-CEO of Cult Beauty, who we have to thank for hosting this this evening. Hello, and thank you very much for having me. Fabulous. We have Dr. Shazadi Harper, who is a great friend of ours, Lorraine and I, on the show. She is a menopause expert and a women's well-being specialist. Carolyn will be joining us shortly. She is the deputy leader of Welsh Labour, and she is the MP for Swansea East. And I'm going to hand over to Lorraine. Lorraine, you're going to be asking the big questions tonight, aren't you? Trish is in charge, as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that intro. I'm going to start with Shazadi, because she's been on the show twice, haven't you? I have, (laughs) yeah. Thank you. Um, Right at the beginning of Postcards from Midlife. So I thought it would be interesting if you two could talk about your midlife journeys, both from your professional and kind of personal point of view. So Dr Harper... Yeah, I'm Dr. Harper, and um, I've been a GP in Oxford. Uh, well, I was a GP in Oxford for a number of years. You know, in my younger self, you see women coming in over the age of 40 with all of these symptoms, and I was thinking, well, what, what the hell is going on with them? You know, it's um, one thing after another thing after another thing. And I also saw colleagues who seemed to almost age overnight. And from a selfish point of view, I was single and still wanting to mingle, and I thought, you know, I wanted to look good. But also, my mother has dementia, and I felt it had really accelerated around this time of menopause. So I thought I really wanted to be that doctor who joined the dots up for women, who gave them a a better quality of life, because I thought, you know, sort of medical care didn't quite hit the mark for midlife women, and they were almost like pushed into the corner, into the background. And I thought, I'm not ready to do that, and so why should other women do that? That's one of the reasons why I came into this field, as a real champion for women, and to help them get the best care that they can. And it's been life-changing, hasn't it, seeing all the women that you see in your clinic? Oh, I I love it. I mean, it has been life-changing, and they say that to me as well. You know, you've changed our life. It's been a game-changer. I often say the first time they come in, I want to cry with them because I feel so sad. And then the second time they come in, I want to cry with them because it's such a, a change. You know, they look lighter, brighter, and that sparkle is back. Oh, it's lovely to hear. Now, Alexia, tell us your journey, as they say. I mean, I don't like the word journey, but journey. tell us your experience and why, why you're involved in this, really. So I'm very early on in the, in the Perry journey. 45 was about the age that my mother started her her kind of menopausal beginning mm. of, uh, of the symptoms. So it's, it's something, I'm, I'm 44, so I'm kind of looking at that starting to happen quite soon. I think that's a really good point to make to everyone listening and in the room. This is not just about women over 40. You know, if you're heading towards this, if you're younger, you do really need to know about this because there's a lot you can do in advance to make life a bit easier, more magnificent. More. <laughs> anyway, back to Alexia. I don't know about you, but it, I've always been quite deeply scared of the menopause. And it's something that I've actually had as this kind of cloud in my future from the minute that I the really discovered it. on the horizon. The, yeah. the fear, and it's, it's the fear not just about the physical symptoms, but the, the ending and this, the fact that it was always promoted as a full stop rather than a, uh, just a, a part of the journey that you're going through. It's going to happen. Here's how to, to deal with it. Um, and so there was this deep, deep fear, and I've kind of looked into why. I've kind of got back to the explosion of Me Too right. and what that has done to the way women look at 
the way they are treated in society. So the somewhat insidious nature of the repression that can happen in yeah. different ways. When I was looking at that, I was looking at the sort of the sexual revolution that that's really happened, a second one yeah. that's really happened in the last five years, and it's something that at, at Cult Beauty we were we were really strongly part of, really normalising sexual pleasure. Yes, <laughs> not this really. evening here, but <laughs> at some point, obviously. <laughs> did you know about the perimenopause? Did you know these terms? Did you know any of that? Did it mean anything to you as a woman personally? Not before I started doing research into it. And, and actually, when I was looking at sexual wellness and pleasure, the menopause came up again and again as a... Mm as just the question mark there's the, you know all of this information about this but there isn't a huge amount about the menopause it's not really written about you don't have the same volume of or you didn't have the same volume of blogs and tones and people really having the conversation it just felt like there's this nothingness this almost embarrassment around talking about it it really just triggered something i was like we need to actually take this on as a subject and then we heard about Carolyn and what she was doing. What a woman. Amazing. And met her. And, and uh, unbelievable. I mean, you will, you will see when she bursts through those doors. She will burst know, through the is, doors, yeah. She is <laughs> the most inspiring person that, I mean, I would vote for Prime Minister tomorrow. And it's just amazing to meet a an MP who, who has so much authenticity yeah. with her story and what she cares so much about changing things and I just thought you know what we've got a platform here and we need to use this platform Will you reach women and then just talking to the team and most of whom are kind of in their mid-30s early mid-30s yeah. and just saying you know this would you be interested in getting behind this you know it's it's not something that's going to affect you straight away but it is coming and everyone was so excited about getting on board with this campaign that we just... I think it's worth explaining before we head to October the 29th, which is when the private members bill that um, the APPG, the all-party parliamentary group on the menopause, um, are trying to make... Basically, Carolyn, the MP, wants to make HRT free in England, as it is in Wales and Scotland and, and Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland. So that's, that's where we are. So you came up with a pledge, um, which you've shared with your community, didn't you? And what, what does the pledge ask? I did an open letter to, yes. to government, and it was just talking about you know, why I was cross <laughs> about some stuff, <laughs> but also what we at Cult Beauty were doing about it, because as you can, you can go onto social media and you can have a good moan and it's quite cathartic, but actually it doesn't really change anything. So you're in, in a bubble, end. aren't you, really, as well? Yeah. yeah. Um, so using the platform to talk about it and push people towards a campaign is really important, but actually where I see what we can actually do to help is looking at workplace policy and where do you start? your own home and we reviewed our entire reproductive life cycle policy we call it so it's, it's looking at all of the challenges women have through their lives from maternity IVF fertility mis miscarriage miscarriage endometriosis and then on to menopause as well and just looking at how do you support women without being intrusive yeah. Um, how do you empower managers to give good support? And that was the kind of question in my head when we were looking at it. You're a 78% female organisation, aren't so you? So it's, it's very a, pertinent to your workforce. It's, it's 
deeply important. But I think what we really want to do with this campaign is share this policy, cut and paste it, anyone that's interested in pushing this out into their businesses. And one of the, I've, since we've started this campaign, we've already had two businesses contact us and say, can we have a bit of a chat about what you guys are doing? So I'd love to learn a little bit more about how we actually support women through menopause. It's pretty logical stuff. It's you know helping managers understand what the symptoms are, what they might need to do to help somebody who's dealing with menopause, whether it's a uniform change, so not sort of yeah. lots of tight polyester is not going to be a great thing to be wearing, but also do you move where their desk is? Should it be nearer the loos? Should it be nearer the, uh, a window? Is it possible to do that? But also, can they work remotely when they really don't want to see people? Oh, look, oh, here, here she is. is. The woman herself, straight from Parliament. <laughs> five flights of stairs to come up. It will definitely do it for you. Nine votes and five flights of stairs. Oh, Carolyn Harris, everybody. <laughs> So we were just talking about how Cult Beauty has transformed its policies in the workplace. And the tickets sale tonight was in aid of well-being of women. And they launched a campaign this month with Sophie, Countess of Wessex, to make sure that workplaces pledge to address this issue and that they don't in any way discriminate against women who talk about being perimenopausal or going through the menopause. Now, with the women that you see, Shazadi, what, what do they talk about their needs are? Do they say to you, if this happened at work, I would probably want to stay at work? I mean, you must see women who want to step out because 900,000 women, according to a recent Booper survey, stepped out of work because they, of menopause. Um, I, I think one of the things to sort of take note about is the fact that it's not hot flushes, really, that kind of gets them. It's more things like anxiety, brain fog, mood, um, insomnia, fatigue. And, and, you know, often we may not associate that initially with, um, you know, sort of the perimenopause and menopause. And these women come in, and many of them are floundering. You know, many might be in roles that they've been doing for years, so they're managing to almost like sort of con everybody that they can keep going. But internally... They're feeling that they're losing their confidence, their sense of ability. And sometimes they just say sort of midway through a sentence, they've forgotten what they were going to say. They're doing a presentation and their mind goes blank. Even yesterday, one woman said, you know, I met with somebody who I've known for years and I couldn't remember her name. So these are the kind of things, that fear and that sort of vulnerability um, that they come in with. And they do want to leave work, but, you know, some of them have to carry on working. Others have left work. And then, you know, now that they know more about it or they may be on treatment like HRT, they've gone back to work and they've said, I wish we'd known about this five years ago because I wouldn't have left my job and now working for the woman that I had trained up. So many of these women feel angry, actually. Yeah. They feel angry. It's the rage, isn't it? And Trish, we get a lot of this on our... We have a private Facebook group for postcards from midlife and um, it's private so that women can share their worries um, and we hear quite a lot of stories we hear quite a lot of sad stories don't we yeah we do actually where you know to echo what Shazadi said about losing your confidence and I, and I was kind of thinking about it earlier in the, the sense of in terms of gender equality in the workplace which we know is a huge issue if you're a woman who's had several maternity leaves chances are you've you've had to climb your way back up the ladder right when you've gone back to work 
only then a few years later to be to find yourself in this position where you're struggling again and it's no wonder that there is such a lack of you know women in boardrooms staying or making it into senior positions but we have had, we've had some nice ones because we did have a one of our facebook group members who said that and this really talks to your point Alexia about cultural change within companies that her ceo in board meetings would he's a male would um, open windows he's a for ceo her. Trish, of course he's a male <laughs> God's sake, well, we've got that's one another here. thing we we've can talk one about another podcast. But would open windows for her, would check in with her before these big meetings to check she was feeling all right because his wife had gone through it and he had seen it. And he was like, well, I need to change this within my company and make sure that, you know, that women feel supported in that way. And of course, we've had John Timpson, didn't we, this week, yep. which is just great. So if we can see male colleagues coming out in support, I think that's really important. Yeah, so, jo- so John Timpson is going to pay for the HRT that any of his female staff need. The studies have shown that men who are around that age, whose wives have been going through menopause, are much more supportive in the workplace. It's usually younger men who don't yeah. have an understanding are the least supportive. But men of that age and older um, have a better understanding because they've probably lived with somebody who's gone, yeah. who's gone through it. Yeah. yeah. Now, Carolyn. <laughs> I can breathe now. <laughs> so Is it karaoke. No. <laughs> But I, I can do Sweet Child of Mine if you want. I don't know what your karaoke is. Big Spender. Oh, Big Spender. Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> so given that it was only this year that a bill was passed giving MPs paid maternity leave, I'm guessing that uh, support for female MPs in the corridors of power is, is pretty low, is it? Yeah, personally, I think we're in the wrong kind of job when we ask for anything for ourselves. Because I think it makes us sound as if we are a little bit too precious about ourselves. When I did work, I worked as a barmaid and I worked as a dinner lady. And I wouldn't have had maternity leave then. Yeah. You know, because they weren't permanent jobs. And that maternity leave is not for all MPs. That was only for ministers. Right. So it's not for MPs Mm. as a rule. You have to be a minister. So, you know, I'd leave that one up to to work (laughs) out. um, (laughs) So you have set up the APPG... I love that. It sounds like a special patrol group or something like that, doesn't it? Um, On the menopause. And you are October the 29th, Private Members Bill. So for everyone listening to the podcast, everyone in the room, tell us exactly what is happening and uh, what our menopause warriors can do. You can do loads. But there's a backbench business tomorrow afternoon, which I'm leading on, and that's on the menopause. So I'm going to whet the appetite of the government tomorrow afternoon. I've told the minister this. And then next week they're having it between the eyes. But what I would say, <laughs> what he's I got, would say, he's gone is, into hiding. Yeah. And <laughs> um, the bill is currently with number ten. So number ten, they're making the decision on this. Right. So if anybody wants to tweet Sajid Javid, Boris Johnson, or anyone else in that kind of domain, that would be really useful. This is the bill to make HRT yeah. free. The bill in to England. make HRT free. And the support services, which I'm asked for, which I have been told off the record, we are pushing on an open door. But until it's done, I won't be satisfied. So all the pressure we can possibly bring to bear. But but what what is it? So I started talking about menopause back in 2016 when I first got elected. And we talked about it on uh, International Menopause Day. And there was really good support. Every year, year on year, we had cross-party support. We had... Men, women, everybody had something to say about the menopause, whether it was a personal story or a story of somebody they know. I popped my cock. (laughs) Big spender. I know. I'll count you in. 
<laughs> and then it just would go away till the following year. And, and it was during this period when I was talking, God, during this period, um, that I was actually talking to colleagues. You got it then, didn't you? Yeah. I was talking to colleagues about, I thought that in 2010 I had a, a really bad experience of having periods for, I thought it was a period, it was continuous. It was literally for maybe three, four, maybe even longer. And if I stood up, oh my God, it was horrendous. I had to keep sitting down, literally crawling to the bathroom. It was that bad. Eventually, I went into hospital and had fibroids removed. So when people say to me, when was the last time you had a period? I don't know, because I lost track between not having and having a period and having these fibroids. I didn't know that they were different. So after I had that, I ended up sinking into a really deep depression and deciding that I was having a nervous breakdown. I'd lost my son 30 years ago in a road accident and I'd never taken antidepressants and convinced myself that this was it all coming around to hit me. It was smacking me in the face and that I needed to go on antidepressants and I'm having a nervous breakdown. And I've been on antidepressants now for 11 years and I've been terrified not to take them because when I was at my lowest during that time, I had this bloody awful pink anorak with a hood, a fur hood, and I lived in that, and it was like a comfort blanket. And I would go to, I'd go to farm foods or somewhere shopping, and somebody would look at me. They were probably thinking, no, that woman, why the hell is she wearing that mark in June? I would just went to pieces, and I'd just leave my shopping trolley, and out I'd go. I was really, really bad, and I'm not that kind of person that's introvert. So I'd been on these antidepressants all this time, and probably the last two years, I started talking about other symptoms and listening to other women's symptoms and thinking, well, I got that. Well, I've had that. Low libido, I've had that. Dry vagina, I've had that. Headaches, I got them. And all of a sudden, it was like somebody had literally hit me over the head and thought, I wasn't on the nervous breakdown. I was menopausal. But because nobody ever told me about it, nobody ever spoke to me, and, and these girls will laugh because they've heard this before, but I re- vividly remember my mother and her two sisters having a conversation about one of my aunt's change because they never said it in anything other than a hushed voice and they asked me to leave the room because they didn't want me to be urine this I was 36 <laughs> I'm still waiting bless her soul for my mother to tell me about periods <laughs> it sort of dawned on me that there were so many women who were like me in pretty responsible jobs and if we didn't know that we were menopausal then it was a bloody good chance that most of the female population didn't know they were menopausal. And I wanted to set up this APPG so we could look at all the aspects. And all APPG, it is special. It's an all-party parliamentary group, which means I always use these groups as a vehicle for change. Because I'm an opposition MP. I won't get nothing done unless I work cross-party with, with, with colleagues. And I've got to say, there's a lot more people on the opposite benches than on mine that I actually like. Just putting that out there. But this is live, <laughs> But So I work with people to get things done. And, and everybody was saying, well, what are you going to do in the menopause? And up until then, I'd been saying, oh, we want mandatory workplace practices. We want statutory this. We want mandatory that. And, and all these things are achievable, but they take a long time. And they take several government departments. And you know, they can take, in some cases, 10 years. So my initial thought was I wanted to do statutory workplace policy. But that would have meant several government departments, which meant you've got Whitehall talking to Whitehall, and I'd rather talk to the wall and talk to Whitehall, because they, they'll never agree on anything. So I was just racking my brains, and there was nothing coming. But there was nothing coming because I live in Wales. 
So when I was talking to a colleague who said they were going for their prescription for HRT and it was going to cost her 40 quid, I'm like, what? Why is it costing 40 quid? So she very carefully explained that there were two hormones in each packet. There were two packets, four prescriptions. I said, but why is it costing 40 quid? I live in Wales, we don't pay for prescriptions. It was a bit like a eureka moment. I thought, that's the hook. We, we need something to draw attention to this. We need something that's going to make the government sit up and listen. And it's doable, because it's not that much money. And if I make an argument, which I am, that the money they will save in not sending women for umpteen consultancy appointments for things that they haven't got in the first place, which is the argument I'm on at the moment, and I'm convinced, and I'm telling the government they'll be the first in the world to do this, because they will. So, I mean, tell Boris, if you can, he'll be the first in the world. He'll like that. Carolyn, what... what, <laughs> what, uh, what does Boris think? Have you talked to him about it? Have you... No. Um... <laughs> I've sent him a pin. I've sent him a pin batch today. Right. What does that say? It's menopause warrior, doesn't it? Yes, you're wearing one, aren't you? I've got one on you. I've got other people talking to him, but it is... Nobody wants to be thought bad of, especially not Boris. You know, he does like to be liked. So let's pander to that. (laughs) We could pretend we can not like him after... But let's like him for... It is 51% of the population, isn't it? So It's 51% of the yes, population. Right. I wasn't on HRT myself and only went on it this year. I'm not like a bloody Duracell bunny. It's fantastic. But We can't tell. <laughs> but it was, it was something that would draw attention because once the press got to you that the UK government was talking about menopause, it completely changed the emphasis. So we had Australia, 60 Minutes came to film me. We've got Japan, Japanese TV coming to film me. We've got, I had an email today from Indian TV. They want to come and do something. America, we've got university saying, we advise policy in this country or that country. If you do this... We will be world beaters. I, I don't know exactly what the situation is in other countries. I just know nobody's got this right. But if we do this, then we set in a narrative that says that we're a country that cares about women. And all the other things which we need to do, we need better training for doctors. You know, 41% of medical schools haven't even got it on the curriculum. We need to do something about that. We need to do something about the fact that not all workplaces have got a proper menopause policy. But I've slightly rolled back on the mandatory because having visited quite a few companies who I always thought were really good, especially with the personnel side of things, and I asked them about the policy, and they're like, oh, yeah, we got one, and it's an app. But the women on the ground floor, they have no idea they got this app. They've got no idea that there's a menopause policy. And I want businesses to look at their staff and to look at the needs of their staff Because what's the point in somebody working in an office having a uniform policy if they don't wear a uniform? What's the point of having a policy that says you can work from home if you work in Tesco's? You can't work from home. If you work in the NHS, if you're a teacher or a classroom assistant, you know, it has to be relevant to where you work. And I think the best policies will grow from within and grow up. People like Cult Booty, people like James Timpson doing this kinds of thing, they set a good example. So what I've said to the government is, you set an example, you put together a workplace policy for your staff and you share that as good practice and work with other companies. And that's what we're going to do. So after next Friday when the bill goes through, hopefully, then we'll have a committee stage and that's where it'll get tweaked. And I'll probably put down a probing amendment at that point, which would be, you know, has the government given any consideration to licensing testosterone? Because I think we need, we need it on there, but I can't go for it all in one go, otherwise I won't get it. 
But that will be in that will be an amendment, and then that will be another campaign. You know, we intend this APPG to run until we've actually achieved all we need to achieve, and we have got menopause from every aspect covered. It's just asking to be treated as a human being, and not be denied access to something that can make you feel a human being again. That's what it's all about, and that's why we call it the revolution, because it's not one thing. We need this revolution to make sure the whole thing happens and happens not in silence like the menopause has been treated you know the taboo is gone and we we're just going to change it all Yay. So, uh, <laughs> i i have absolutely uh, no doubt that you are the right woman to do that so um you what you need is everyone to write to their mp don't you yeah, so that nice. they are in the room trish we've got a template letter yes, haven't we? we carolyn was on the podcast earlier this year i think you might be one of our most popular guests <gasps> already loved you uh, my husband this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we followed up by putting your template letter onto the Facebook group and sharing it and so many women have sent it to their MPs and got some really really generally positive responses and I think that feeling of you know just taking a bit of control yourselves and knowing that you can play a part in this is really empowering because menopause it disempowers you right if you don't get the right help and quite often for women it takes a lot of guts to actually think right I'm going to go and see my GP women can be quite quite nervous about it and then if you're unlucky enough to get a GP that uh, just wants to put you yeah. on antidepressants or d just doesn't know enough about it. Or we have so many women saying, oh, I've just gone to my appointment and they're saying there's nothing they can do for me. It's just, it's worrying. I think that's an interesting point. So two-thirds, a uh, survey revealed that two-thirds of women were mistakenly prescribed antidepressants by their GPs. And this is probably, we feel from the experts we've talked to, because many GPs can't join the dots. They don't know the symptoms are perimenopause. They don't know enough about it. Shazadi, what do you think GPs need to do now, NHS GPs who are seeing the kind of wall of women coming to them? Because women are now going to their GPs, and I think we're a bit braver about it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There, are, there is a lack of education for doctors, for GPs. You know, if I think back to my own um, GP training, I think it's really important that they educate themselves and they become aware of what perimenopause is, menopause is, how early it can start, you know, the variation in symptoms. It's not just hot flushes and mood swings. That kind of awareness really needs to be raised because I think in the past maybe doctors, just like the sort of general public, think of a menopausal woman as a much older woman. But, you know, we know that the symptoms can start in your early 40s and maybe even earlier for some women. So I think that awareness needs to happen. I do think that it is tough for them. You know, I've been a yeah. GP. It's hard uh, at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, They're it is tough. With, and, um, and 10 yeah. minutes to go through a, a woman with her menopausal symptoms is not enough. So I think they should be able to or allowed to offer sort of longer appointments, maybe 20 minutes, or there should be many more NHS menopause clinics out there that they can refer a woman to so that she gets the time that she deserves. Yeah, and I think the thing we talk about, and I know Carolyn is, is changing the narrative, isn't it? So that you can say all these things out loud, which I guess is what you're doing, Alexia, at work with your staff, your predominantly female staff. You're making it not a taboo, not something to be ashamed of, not something that's a secret or hushed the change terms yeah something that you actually feel that you can talk about and I, I guess that's that's already happened with with periods or, or PMS well it's happened a bit hasn't it I um, feel not quite as I mean, often it, it, as we're yeah. not, we're, 
We're not in the sort of sing it loud camp quite yet, but it, it, it definitely has become less stigmatized. And really, this is just about being able to be practical, logical, and sensible about this. You know, there's, there's always been a kind of this parody of a, of a menopausal woman, and I think that's probably the worst aspect of Patriarchy. It. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to just go and just become a, a practical conversation. Yeah, health, women's health. Yeah. And it's women's health all the way through, isn't it, taken seriously? I mean, I don't know why it's not part of the GP curriculum, because when you're a junior GP, when you're doing your GP training, you have one day in the week, which is your vocational training day, where you have a teaching day. And you have that every week for your whole year that you're doing your GP training. So why is it on one of those days it can't just be menopause and perimenopause? Yeah. So it does surprise me. Do you think it will change? Do you think it will change, Carolyn? Yeah, I think it will, because we've got organisations and we've got people in really senior positions within the medical profession over acknowledging this an issue now but th that's something that we will do through the APPG we will get them in and say why not I mean, but there's also nurses you can have nurse yes, prescribers exactly. I would like to see nurses working in clusters so that you know the GP wouldn't even have to see the woman the, the women can go to the nurse who can prescribe HRT if necessary you go to the nurse for your coil you'll go to the nurse for a smear they probably know a lot more than what the doctors do about HRT and the menopause and that would fill a gap for now until doctors are yeah better trained and that relies actually on all of us becoming more educated about yeah. what the symptoms are and what we might be going through and having it forefront in our minds and talking the about age, it, yes and talking about it yeah. i had a conversation with somebody today uh, and she said oh tell me about this revolution and what you're doing and i started saying things like low libido, dry vagina. And she's like, oh, my God. No, the doctor never said that to me. I never even thought about it. And even, you know, every day I'm talking to somebody, and yeah. it's like, it's an awakening. It's, it's it like we won't be bloody sleepwalking. And <laughs> all is. of a sudden, menopause has jolted us awake. And I, I think the menopause army are going to be quite exciting once they get, <laughs> get everything they need. <laughs> Or excited. Or excited, yes. <laughs> now, I just want, before we go, before we wind up uh, postcards from midlife this evening, I wanted to ask each of our panellists, so Trish, if I brought you back here in a year's time, um, we've seen so much change in a year. Anyway, what would you wish for? Well, I think we need to see a lot of those awful numbers changing, the fact that only one-third of women seek help from their GP, the 900,000 women leaving work. We want some really good statistics that turn those on their head. That's yeah. what I'd like to see. Um, I'm going to ask Alexia now. I mean, there has to be a nationwide change in workplace policy, not necessarily forced, but it needs to become a cool thing to do. <laughs> it really does. I mean, that's how, that's how you end up... staff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it really, like, it's so important. It's, it's, it's important in retention staff. There's so many positive things that come from treating your women well, treating your staff well generally, but yeah. looking at these specific needs and making sure that you are just there to support. And Dr. Harper, what would you like to see in a year's time change? I'd like to see that women have the right information on HRT so they can make an informed choice and women from all sort of backgrounds, socioeconomic, you know, different women of colour, that they have accessibility to it. 
Yeah, I was uh, saying this morning in the kitchen, what I'd like to see is, I've got three daughters and a son. In a year's time, I'd quite like them all to just be talking about perimenopause as if it was something they knew everything about and was part of their health plan. So that they were talking about it when they got pregnant, if they're lucky enough to get pregnant, when they get married. It just becomes something they're planning for and they know about. And then finally, I'm going to ask the star of the show... Uh, <laughs> Carolyn, what would you like to see happen in the next 12 months? I'd like to see us actually be talking about prescribing testosterone because I think people will find it's a massive difference if we were doing that. I mean, I think everything else will, everything is brilliant, but I think we need to get that onto the agenda. Brilliant. Now, we have time for a few questions if anyone wants to ask some of the panel questions. You put your hand up, shout quite loudly. Lady over there. So I went for a big multinational, and I would say they've got some really good policies in place that we've got really good maternity. I think they genuinely do care about their staff. But... Now I've worked there 12 years, I'm pretty certain there is no menopause policy. If there is, I haven't heard about it. Any tips? What can I do to get that wheel in motion? Well, um, get that, without get sounding... the HR department to email me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can, they can cut and paste from ours. And anyone that is interested in finding out more, just contact me through Cult Beauty, through my Instagram, wherever, and uh, we'll be able to, to help. Uh, lady at the back on the right there. Where do we start? So you're asking, where do we start? Bio, body, how do you find out about HRT? I think we're going to ask the medically qualified person on the panel. Perfect timing, because this week on Insta, I've put bio versus body identical, and today I've put up an HRT video. Yeah, I, I think it's about just getting that information. And plus... Lorraine, I've written the book, The Perimenopause you Solution. You have written a book, yes, The Perimenopause um, so Solution. So there's lots of information out there, and I think Instagram, you know, has got so many accounts on there now that give out so much information. It, it, you know, it's kind of sort of overflowing with it. Um, and I think it's all about sort of finding that information. And even the NHS website, you know, that Yeah, has the lots. NHS website is good, yeah. That's so I think final question from Jordan at the back there. HRT, you know, we talk about oestrogen and progesterone, and testosterone is the third hormone that we as women have, but we don't often think about it as our hormone because it's a male hormone. And it's produced in our ovaries and our adrenal glands and helps with so many aspects of a woman, not only libido, but things like energy, you know, mental sharpness, focus, bone health. You know, often people talk about it as that missing piece of the jigsaw, almost like putting that va-va-voom back into life. So I think it's very important. But it is licensed... Everywhere else in the world, isn't it? But it's not licensed here. So this, but the, well, it's the test. You. I don't do know you want why. to explain the um, difference between where it's licensed and where it's not licensed? So, so here, here in the United Kingdom, we in, within the NHS, we have no female licensed form of testosterone. We have male licensed testosterone. In Australia, there is a, a female licensed one, which we can prescribe privately, but isn't available on the NHS. And what licensed means is, is that you know that's what the company has said that it can be um, you know prescribed for. So GPs have to prescribe the male version off license which you know in their head it means that they're taking a bit of a risk and they're taking a bit of a gamble in some ways but you know but you don't prescribe it in the same doses as you would for a man you'd prescribe it in much lower doses you'd monitor it you'd do a blood test you know and, and you'd make sure that you're within sort of limits and things because licensing takes a long time the pharma companies have to pay a lot to do it and I don't know why they don't do it because we are now using it much much more 
And you can um, you can get Androfem, which is the Australian version, Androfem. privately. So um, at the the last I heard on that, I spoke to the the gentleman who actually makes it. He said he had tried to get it licensed here, but the argument was, but was it was there a need for it? So he's going back. Yeah, he's going back in 23. So, so I've it? said by then this bill will be over, and by 2023 that we'll be in a better position as an APPG to support that application with whatever we can do in terms of raising awareness amongst women and getting the need loud and clear to make sure the guidelines pass it through. I'm sorry, we don't have any time for any more questions. So thank you very much, everybody, for coming. Thank um, you. Thank you to Dr. Shishadi Harper, thank you to Alexia Ng, Colt Beauty, and thank you to Carolyn Harris and my co-host, Trish Halpen. Well, that brings us to the end of this special episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thanks for listening, and do follow what is happening with Carolyn's campaign. You can download the template of the letter before Friday, October the 29th, at menopause dash appg.co.uk to spread the word about the podcast and let any women in midlife know and subscribe and download too thank you and goodbye bye